0: No, we yes. are ready for you. So, Eddie, we
1: are ready for you. Eddie I'm an innovator, a of family office, a father, but also a courageous investor in energy transition. So <laughs>
0: I'll have to all of uh, Thank you, guys, uh, and thank you, Mark, for allowing me to moderate this Steam panel. Um, I have had the opportunity uh, that this is one session to speak to you, but not in one of the 350 pre-ordained Zooms over the last couple of weeks, but more you know, in-between sessions. And uh, it turns out it's got a very diverse and interesting panel today. I'm going to dive right into the wine. you We have 45 minutes. It will take an hour, I'll Jack one you, <laughs> you, you have 35 now. Go. <laughs> about, about a full hour, so that's good.
2: So... <laughs> So my name, uh,
0: like Fiona, just uh, as Eddie Vendepart, and I run a platform for early-stage tech-enabled impact investment in, uh, in decarbonization with a focus on agriculture and climate tech. And obviously, right now, we're going to focus on the latter, but the is as well. Um, in climate tech, I, I noticed myself focusing a lot on renewable energy uh, with investment in sustainable aviation fuel stemming from the 361 connection. We have an investment in uh, ultra-low carbon gas to gasoline. We have an investment in waste to fuel from the venerable Fiona connection. Um, and in we're looking at investments in hydrogen, which we'll talk about with two gentlemen over here. Uh, very well represented, and we're looking at the entire air capture investment to have a multi-fuel platform. So okay, very interesting stuff. We also vehemently believe just like Joe Milan said in the beginning of the day, that there's no concessionary returns necessary here in this space for investors. Impact, with, impact investors are not that at the table and it's not money. We believe that profits, planet, and people go all together. Um, here to talk about all of this is an esteemed panel, and I'm starting with Andrew Fish. Andrew, great for you to come here. Uh, that's not been super easy in your foot. Um, Andrew runs Five Oceans. is a group of investors with interest in all aspects of uh, alternative investing. works particularly with uh, family offices. And he used to run a fund uh, of funds for state streets. And Edge Fund space. But he was also an avid researcher. all always like he, he mentioned as a uh, high schooler, he's been a, uh, an avid researcher. Um, well, sometimes researching is dangerous, and sometimes uh, researching nuclear energy is dangerous. You can see that that was it took it took a quite a beating, but out of that comes a wonderful piece of research. Uh, and I think you mostly present the facts because there's a lot of opinions about nuclear. But I think that uh, we're mostly interested in facts. Um, and maybe you can sort of kick it off. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, nuclear accounts roughly 10 percent all the energy source in the world, uh, double that in the state, 20%. So it's very significant. Uh, and,
3: and the question is do she become more significant or so less significant?
4: So uh, uh, just for some context, I've been an investor from four years, about half family offices, half large institution. Um, I started out building technology to enable my Thank investing gravitated to investing in it. And then ultimately investing in technologies of change. Uh, aside from the whole capital market for of investment. But investing in technology exchange requires as I said, a lot of research. So you research a lot of things in a lot of places, Then you put it in the context of your your global markets and your global economy. So, with that said, I'll leave you with two thoughts before I do this. One, we are not investing in space today, or necessarily trying, uh, but it's research. Uh, two, it is uh, also for context. Is an easy example is if you look at SpaceX, a private company, if you want to invest, I don't know if you can or can, but there are 3,000 companies that are sub- subcontractors of SpaceX. There are 3,000 companies you could invest in that all contribute to what SpaceX does. So just leave that in the context of, of, of um So anyway, uh, you know, uh, typical 361 style. Uh, I looked for something. What does that mean? Well, i like, tell you. Um, I, I, I looked for something <laughs> in the impact space that I thought there might be an information void, and I was sure nobody else was gonna want to talk about. It. So here uh, right, we All right, that's good. And Mark said that. Mark said that was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so uh, um, the question then is nuclear, and to somehow get this into five minutes rather uh, than a panel, I just put up a couple slides uh, to lead the conversation, and then, then I'll, I'll be done in my five minutes. So uh, you know, we all know what's gone on. It's all in the news: Chernobyl, Fukushima, Three Mile Island. And by the way, if you really want to be scared, uh, Ukraine. And the reason is all those were results of backup power failing, uh, which caused the cooling systems uh, to trigger nuclear. Uh So that's bad, of course. We're familiar with radioactive waste having to hold it for hundreds of thousands of years, etc. So we know all those things. Um, so this is the real question today, not, I won't talk about AI stuff I mean, you can have that, but that's a political conversation. This is that nuclear reactors do not produce greenhouse gases, and they do produce electricity, which could be used for anything from creating hydrogen, as we heard, to powering ships, which are, I think, 2.5% of global emissions, and I haven't seen any other solution with the company Core Power which actually focused on that. And so, but we have to solve those problems or it's really not a viable solution, um, in spite of the fact that nuclear plants are being built around the world. There's only one here, and the average age here is about 40 years. So it's not really gonna happen here in, in the tradition. Um, so the, the, the question is, if you look at the left, we get thirteen and a half percent of electricity through wind and solar, that's great. Um, but uh, the wind dies and the sun goes down and it's only thirteen and a half and percent. It's cheap, but the storage isn't, so it, it, it will grow, but it's not as easy. Um, we're already 18% nuclear. The average plant 40 four years old. That's going to go away on its own, and we still have 60% coal and natural gas, which, which of course, is part of the biggest problem. So what's the next generation of nuclear reactors that are interesting in the world? We have things like small modular reactors, micro reactors, uh, safe low-pressure reactors to ship. Uh, solution I talked about would be uh, uh, low toxicity, low pressure, uh, no meltdown risk, etc., etc., and the waste uh, is easy to do. Um, What about other things? Somebody brought up mining for instance. So the mining industry is remote. They're not connected to a grid. You can't just build uh, a solar plant. You could put a modular reactor in there. In there. Uh, You could supplement solar and wind because we don't have a panacea. If you combine these things together. Um, and, of course, there's remote locations where there's no one source. So um, there's, there's, there's four different things I just want to quickly go over. So uh, the, the, the uh, panacea is something called molten salt reactors. There be two sides of that. Some scientists will say, oh, that didn't work. There were projects in the 60s and 70s in the U.S. that failed. Um, but the biggest difference um, is, uh, and I will get a pleasant political is the fuel uh, that goes through it is not suitable for bombs. When you enrich uranium for power plants, you keep enriching it, you get a bomb. So there really wasn't an incentive to put a lot of money in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I mean. China, on the other hand, has just built a $3 billion test reactor uh, in molten salt. And, and it has great characteristics. Uh, it can't melt down because the cooling is not dependent on electric pumps, uh, you can't make weapons out of it. Um, it does require new types of fuel creation. You can't just take old stuff and reuse it. Um, but that's not an unknown. Once again, in the process, um, and there are actually not t- Chinese led the way, and Gates Tower Power have to pull out because of technology transfer. And but there aren't any other um, places that that want to do this. And I mentioned Core Power. It's really the only good solution for ship. Um, so. The other, the other side of it, which is a sort of a halfway house, is small modular reactors, because what they've done to get approvals is they've shrunk down the current technology to a modular size, and they've put in some safety mechanisms that that this, sort of uh, oops in the won't happen. And um, so uh, uh, there you have all kinds of opportunities um, with still some of, of, of the problems. But cost is a huge factor and small module reactors can be produced in a plant, mass produced, assembled on-site, are scalable. You can have one unit, two units, ten units, whatever you need. Um, And once again, not uh, not a big construction project. And also, um, uh, aside from the safety mechanisms, uh, don't have the potential to create Chernobyl fukushima scale um, issues. So... um, uh, this is what power power is doing They're the most notable one because it's not only gates back, backed by uh, the department of energy, uh, it's uh, it's involves uh, G. Hitachi, which is uh, also doing SMRs, um, but um, it's more well funded and more advanced. Um, it has a lot of interesting characteristics. It does use uranium, but it's lightly enriched. The problem there is they used to get it all from the Russians. They're two years behind the global plan to do it. But um, they also have integrated power storage for balancing, So it, 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 it's something that, that has a per- very practical application. And, and the methodology is to actually replace the coal plants because the coal plants are already on grid. Uh, that's already in, in development here today. There's five of them planned, one of them under construction. So uh, the, last, the last piece of the slide there um, was uh, a fuel called thorium four times as as abundant as uranium, um, it is not particularly toxic, um, uh, it is requires a different reactor, molten salt is, is possible, and the best part of it is that the waste fuel, um, uh, the waste doesn't have to be held for uh, tens to hundreds of thousands of years, uh, it becomes non-radioactive uh, within, it's a few hundred years, but it's a, it's a tolerable time. So there's all kinds of neat stuff. And, and then I'll also leave you with the, the don't forget about the SpaceX of 3,000 subcontractors. Thanks, a, a, a of time, of time, I think that are awesome. A question or a There's time Let me ask first a couple of
0: questions before I take this point from you on know, very interesting stuff. Do you think, in let's say a time span, we have to think in long time span, 10, 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. that the U.S., that's keep people to the U.S., that's easier. will be 20 or 18, as you said, your slide said, percent uh, powered by nuclear, 8 or 28.
4: And we're not just US group here, right? This is global. Yeah. And, just and Germany well, having abandoned <coughs> it. Yeah. Well, Germany is complicated. It's like, like a little bit of. Germany's abandoned it. France is stuck to it. Japan's starting them up. India and China are building the old, old ones. But they said that wasn't really for this conversation. And and I picked the US because we've now taken control of it. Sure. Um, So the answer probably isn't in numbers because we're talking about transition. So part of what we have to do is transition away from traditional nuclear power as well. The plant's are already 40 years old. It's going to happen. We can't build a new one. We're incapable. of. So that's going to happen here no matter what. But can we actually solve other problems while we're doing it? Can an SMR solve mining problems or or small-scale problems? Can an MSR work in ships, 2.5% of global emissions? No solution for that. So, I don't, I don't think that number is really it. Is it part of the energy transition model in a significant way? I think it's the right question. Or should we be talking about hydrogen? Uh, I, I think, well, first of all, you talk about 40 years. SMRs and things are happening today. Ontario Power is billing it. Poland's ordered a dozen of them. Terra Power is billing it. Uh, the Chinese are about to, to, uh, to, to move into their production. Uh, MSR. So, uh, it's already happening. Uh, some of the the best stuff probably takes years of research, and the biggest problem is regulatory approvals can take forever, which is why a lot of people are using traditional technology in a different form, but it's not ideal. So it, it, it's a it's a yes and no answer because some in the near term, the best is probably still pretty far out. India wants to build thorium reactors. Are you are you? a question.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh- so I think I'm a big fan of, of nuclear power, but uh, as soon as the conversation starts. As soon as the conversation starts about nuclear, obviously
0: there's voices about the defense yeah, and security of the
1: country, as those are high-value high targets. So I guess the first question is: what's your counter-argument for that? And the
0: second is the legislative or scalability of that solution. I've been approached by an um, SMR company uh, from US that was implementing solutions here in the US and they wanted to move to Europe, but the legislation was not there, so there was lobbying. So the second question, do you see it as a global application or is it
4: going to be a niche market? Um, don't stand up you're good uh, actually easier okay <laughs> uh, so uh, your, your, your first question is that everything i presented here is uh everything i presented here is not building stuff on a humongous scale that, that needs to be put in the past because it, it doesn't work well. so everything is dispersed is distributed to its needs uh you are right that for instance new scale is a u.s company they're building it in Ontario, Canada, and Poland because they can't get it approved in the US. That is a, a, a barrier, but I think once the technology progresses, the education um, comes out, that the, the approvals will halt. Um and, and so it is global. It's not, like I said the Chinese, the Indians, they're all doing it. Uh, does that answer your question or anything? Thank you. We're <laughs> Thank you very much guys.
0: We have to uh, move on uh, swiftly to the next topic, um, which is hydrogen, which is currently 3% uh, of of the market, so to speak. But a lot of people bet that it's going to be significantly bigger in the future. Um, And to prove those points, we have Marcel Werner, who is uh, from Munich, where my favorite football club is from. And uh, he founded Girotor, a state in the space of advanced technologies for energy storage of fuel cells. And in 2021, he co-founded Senko. Now, Senko made not a lot of sense to you, but it makes sense in Esperanto. Um, and as much as that's the case, uh, his his vision is for the for for the fund that hydrogen is a sole universal element to drive the paradigm change in the energy system. That's a that's a. That's a big promise. So the, the interesting and the fun exercise, not the fun exercise, the fun exercise <laughs> should be to uh, explain that what, what opportunities for are uh, to you, and are you so excited about the space? Thank you, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for being here as a panel of the session. It's
5: really exciting for us. And yeah, thank you also for all your kind uh, words up front. Um, I'm here on behalf of Carlsen. Many of you met him last time and I should say hello from from him. He couldn't make it, so I'm here instead of him. Well, talking about hydrogen and the, the relevance and the efficiency and the impact of hydrogen for our society is a huge topic. I think many people have a certain perspective when looking at hydrogen. Some of them are coming from electrical cars and looking at competing electric cars with hydrogen cars. That's a famous discussion. I guess many of you had heard about this in in private conversations or so. On the other hand side, you have some similar things. uh, Nuclear power versus uh, hydrogen. Is this a a competition where hydrogen has an impact? And before I go into uh, details like that, I want to picture uh, something which is um, more on a global scale. Uh, if you look at the world and the primary uh, primarily energy uh, consumption or generation, energy is a word which co- combines electrons and molecules. Many people are talking about the electronic side of energy. So, electrical energy is only representing 20% of the overall energy market. 80% is fossil-based, mm. molecule-based, in terms of coal oil and gas and when you talk about hydrogen there's a particular um, uh, how do you say special specialty behind it because hydrogen is a vector between those uh, worlds and it can be produced produced out of electricity that's the green hydrogen everybody is talking about and you have fossil-based ways to produce hydrogen, the common way, out of natural gas, so to say. And hydrogen can switch between electrons and molecules, and that's the good part of it. It can store electrical energy, and you can use it in a molecule way, but you can also regenerate power out of hydrogen. This is a huge game-changer because there is no
2: other molecule, which is our energy carrier, so to say, which is able to handle both sides. If you talk about batteries,
5: you're only focusing on the 20% market share of electrical power. You miss 80% of this. And so, hydrogen is the only commercial-ready, market-relevant energy carrier, which is usable today. And we recognized this a few years ago, but. Uh, way more important than recognizing such an effect is, is the market ready, is it investable, and is the, the acceptance of the people given so that investors can open their pockets and invest into that thing. And it took some time, but right now I would definitely say, yes, the market is ready for that. Back in 2020, that was the turning point where all the national Hydrogen strategies, nearly all over the world, were met and set out and this was the foundation of a new era of energy. Because before that, only large conglomerates were looking into hydrogen, some believers, some entrepreneurs. And a few countries opened their pockets in terms of uh, subsidies and said, okay, we want to push that a little bit. But the huge uh, game-changer was, as I said, 2020. So the moment when we set up Senko, it was not legally found at that that time, but the foundation was uh, in 2020 actually. And so uh, we thought, this is a a huge game changer, we should invest into it, simply said like that. And then we made our homework and said, how can we invest into it? The corporations are investing into it, some governments are putting subsidies in it, or uh, but the huge pockets, the, the, the private capital markets, they are not investing into it. So we build up the bridge to uh, yeah, attract institutional money and put it into the hydrogen uh, environment. So um, this is the mission we have. It's opening up a, a huge universe for attractive opportunities where you can put your money in. And our fund is allocating it not into hydrogen producing plants and stuff, but into technology firms which are necessary to build up the whole infrastructure. Because we believe those cases are generating profit at the very beginning of the value chain, or at the very beginning of the market ramp up situation. And so, yes, that's what we are focusing And uh, thank you for, for me being able to have this introduction.
0: Marcel, so can you explain more, sort of, viscerally what type of projects you would invest in and choose one of the left side of the diagram you showed me and one, one of the right side of the diagram it will, it will be clear when you explain Okay, that. okay, sure,
5: sure. So, <coughs> typically uh, you have one sweetboard. You look at either companies um, with products and services or you can have projects where something is uh, produced uh, like a chemical thing or, or uh, something like that. In the world of hydrogen, I mean hydrogen-producing power plants or or, or production plants, this is one side which we call projects. We can enter such projects on behalf of our investors because we have access to plenty of them. On the other hand side, we have those companies, companies which have enabling positions along the hydrogen value chain. This is sometimes a little bit mixed up, but uh, companies have the attractiveness that they are able to generate returns immediately. They have a, for example a steady business, we are not doing venture by the way, uh, we are looking for established companies
2: within the for
5: example gas, uh, natural gas market and we are partnering with them providing growth capital so that they can capture opportunities Evolving from the hydrogen market up which will be, I think, many of us agree on that thing it will be long-lasting. It will be something like the renewable power industry 20 years ago, or the oil and gas industry like 100 years ago. On the other hand side, entering mm-hmm. partnerships to uh, build up production facilities to produce hydrogen. Um, it's a. It's going to be a huge market, with demanding a lot of capital, but those projects have longer cycles until they pay back the money. Then you have two years of planning, two years of building up the whole thing, one year of proving that the operation is right. So if you invest today, it will at least take five years until returns come back. And that's that's why we decided to um, divide strictly between those two sides, companies and projects. And right now we believe it is great to capture opportunities from from company investments
2: because they are
5: already existing today, there are plenty of opportunities given as well as in Europe as uh, all over the world and on the other hand side projects will reach a a certain maturity for institutional investors within the next couple of years I would say two to five years and and, then the
0: Time to capital returns uh, a bit shorter. Thank you for this. I think, uh, in a matter of time, we uh, reserve the questions for later or, for, or, or, or online. Uh, but it did meet me into the next uh, speaker, who was the uh, name is Baruch Halpert, and he was um, CEO of Electric Global. And when everybody talked about hydrogen power, he misunderstood and he created hydrogen powder. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he, he will tell everybody about it. For the first time I saw an uh, energy carrier life uh, that looks like something else, by the way, he you find it in the harbor Work but still. Um, it, 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 it's interesting because he, he mentions in one sentence what he does, which I always, it's, always it's Like coffee power for a coffee machine, simplifying storage transport, and use of hydrogen in off-grid applications. That makes total sense to me. Can you explain to us what the genesis of the company was, where you are right now, uh, the projects you're currently involved in, and make use of this, and where you
3: see the future? Thank you, Eddie. First of all, thank you, Mark, for inviting us to participate in this panel. Great being here. And without further ado, so this is what we do. This is Powder's hydrogen. We basically you asked me about how to we it. So like everything else in life, I mistake.
2: So
3: <laughs> I was approached by a company that just graduated from an incubator program. The technology proceeds to be much more advanced than it really was. And like many other investments, you start investing thinking at one point and actually was much uh, much earlier technology, so uh, we thought that the uh, rolling out trees, and uh, took a uh, active participation, and uh, then we took the, basically developed the technology from scratch. The original idea, by the way, not in powder, was in liquid, but we found out the liquid doesn't work because this is powder and once you mix it in water, it settles. So it's separate, So it's, typically it's impossible. So in order to solve the problem, we, we said, why not mix its own bowl? meaning when you release the hydrogen. So this thing, like Eddie said, we mix it with water, with a catalytic process to generate the hydrogen on demand. So this created the, the coffee analogy. Mm-hmm. So it's like taking the espresso, putting the capsule, and suddenly it's <laughs> so simple. It's a bit more
2: complicated, for <laughs> argument's
3: so, we, we, we started spending the money long before 2020. So, uh, and when we started investing, said, why well, do you need hydrogen? We have batteries. So, this was the common uh, objection that we tackled. But I agree with you, Ron. The turning point in investing in hydrogen being recognized as the fuel of the 21st century was 2020. That was the point when the EU approved, I think, it was seven or eight hundred billion uh, budget into the next five years into R&D into hydrogen, and then in 21, we felt like this. Like somebody, I think it was also on the backbone of the corona that people understood that, you know, the planet has their own plans, and you can't negotiate with the planet. So you better start doing an energy transition, and this takes time. So, uh, since In the u.s. developing the technology and where we are today with the recent technology to the tech that we've announced building the first plant for powder in the port of Amsterdam that will be operated as of 2026, together with the Davis energy terminals, a US energy company <coughs> with operations in Europe. And based on their wind turbines, we're going to have green hydrogen and powering up to a plant of 500 tons. Why 500 tons? Because they don't have 10 megawatts of power. If they have, we will do 5,000 pound test per hand. And we're going release systems with the risk. And uh, we built already two prototypes that run hundreds of times with repeatable results. And right now, we're working on a go to market product that will be engineered, certified, and produced en masse. And should be on the market uh, by 2025. I hope I've answered your question. Yeah.
4: That's a- is your-
0: I'll take, more, take a look at the timekeeper here. Well, any questions on the hydrogen team since we got both the duo here. We talked about it
6: in
2: the earlier panel.
0: Which uh, Hank was here. We got a question yeah. uh, on, the, on the
6: hydrogen. Now back they, to you Marcel, can you please uh, share with the audience the difference between the industrial hydrogen and the green hydrogen? And uh, also, the scalability right now, as we're talking about the transition, we have the first gentleman, and I wish you feel better, by the way, uh, uh, on your foot. <laughs> 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 that was a by the way. <laughs>
4: pickleball Next time, you need a bed apartment. I'm all in. <laughs>
6: <laughs> so, uh, uh, also, uh, on the, on the uh, uh, new, after we had the hydrogen, on the nuclear uh, I'm always concerned about the water that is being used to cool the, the reactors. What do you guys do with it? And how much does the fish and the marine life enjoy it? And adding also the waste, the, the atomic waste. I would love to know the truth about what you do with it. And when I say you, not you personally, you know, the, the government and other jurisdictions. Thank you. <laughs>
5: Thank you, Camille, for the good question. So, uh, I summarized it. The first question was industrial versus green hydrogen. The second question was uh, the scale-up question. Um, regarding the first one, the overall target of um, the implementation of hydrogen into the new energy system is to decarbonize uh, the plateau. Industries helping the planet to get green or climate neutral. and. You can reach that with um, hydrogen produced out of uh, CO2 free energy, and with that in mind, green hydrogen makes sense on the one hand. Right? Because green hydrogen is at the moment nearly cost competitive to uh, gray hydrogen if you have the cheapest sources of green, and green power, so to say, and back in the desert in uh, arabic countries you can produce so cheap renewable power uh, hydrogen can be nearly cost competitive in specific applications compared to uh, conventional hydrogen mm. however this is a niche situation we have so what governments do is like the ira inflation reduction Act, um they put an instrument in place uh, subsidizing Kilogram of hydrogen produced with renewable power by three dollars. So immediately, green hydrogen can cheaper than uh, industrial-produced hydrogen. And for example, in the United States, and last week in uh, Europe, the European Hydrogen Bank was officially being uh, announced by the Hydrogen. Uh, sorry, by the European Commission, uh, putting a similar instrument in place, uh, funded with 150 billion to support Green hydrogen. So, in a nutshell, many efforts are taken to kickstart green hydrogen. This is a major push for the whole supply chain, technology wise, and many market situations are newly allocated out of this push by governments. So, I would say green hydrogen is cheaper now because of governmental backing. But it will be cheaper in the future when uh, the production of the renewable power is decreasing uh, as it's predicted. And CO2 mm-hmm. pricing is uh, skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you have multiple effects to make green hydrogen, even the cheapest well in the future.
6: Well, while you're on the subject, can you also touch on the storage and the transportation of the liquid?
5: The liquid
2: hydrogen.
6: Exactly, and like what happened in Ohio with the, with the uh, train explosion and the, the gas leak and everything else that we the media decided not to tell us about it, but uh, maybe you can tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: to be honest, I, I'm not familiar with the insights <laughs> of the uh, it, it, Ohio case. Okay. <laughs> So many
6: people in this room maybe did not even hear. About <laughs> I guess so. Yeah.
5: Um, but regarding your first question, um, mm-hmm. the transportation and the storage, uh, transportation and storage. I think there are many ways to transport and storage uh, hydrogen. One of uh, <laughs> one way is is here to pulverize it. rises. Mm-hmm. Is probably uh, a certain segment of uh, transportation and storage. However. In a nutshell, it's possible. It's possible, and it's economically possible. How safe? And it's very safe. Can I
3: can I intervene?
5: Yeah, sure, sure. You can come in, right?
3: True. So you bring a very very relevant point. So our view is that hydrogen, like fossil fuels, you're going to end up with multiple products, multiple products that are going to be sold and shipped differently to address different markets. So hydrogen started as an industrial gas. So it was mainly in liquefied form and compressed form, and also in ammonia, so it's a, it's a third form. Now that we are turning hydrogen into the fuel of the 21st century, we're going to have multiple forms, like you have in, in fossil fuels, you have the benzene, you have the kerosene for jet fuels, a diesel, you have what they call natural gas, or all kinds of forms of gases, each of them for different applications. So when we look at the hydrogen market, I think it's 20 years from now, you're going to end up with four or five leading uh, ways to store hydrogen. Liquefied hydrogen point to point, maybe LOEC, if the prices go down, LOEC, liquid organic hydrogen carrier, that you deliver it from point to point. You're going to end up with the end usage for last mile. Our, our last mile is going to be a key player. It's going to be a category maker. we are going to have compressed hydrogen it's going to be in the end of the day, the day you make economical choices technology is nice but the you know numbers rule for free so you're going to have a couple of forms of hydrogen storage and products that are going to be tried differently like natural gas like oil based on where you uh, actually exploit them how you transport them how you deliver them to market no different than any other energy product so what we're looking is into, into a market in transition there are going to be many trials and errors, many trials and errors, but the train is less than patient. Yeah. I hope i answered your question.
2: I
0: totally agree. Thank you. Much appreciated. It was a great, great question. Um, we have to move on, and we're going to see, see the topic from a different side. I want to introduce to you Peter Lubov, who is a very interesting cat. He's a, an impact investor, educator, and expert. Chief Executive Officer of Net Impact, a very large nonprofit with a mission to inspire, equip, and activate emerging leaders to bring positive change to the world. That's a whole mouthful. Um, he's also, which I really like, um, made and constructed a family office committed to 100% impact investment portfolio, which is which is rare and even more rare, which is brilliant. He wrote that charter together with the entire family, which is as many as. Really nice. Um, So, seeking market returns alongside demonstrable social and environmental impact benefits. So, if there's anybody who should be in an impact conference, it's you. Um, Tell us how you think about investing in impact and then, specifically for our panel, um, energy
7: transition. Sure, thank you for that. Um, I also teach impact investing at. Fordham University, I did it, Yale yeah, until uh, America Gabelli, who is who Valley School of Business at Fordham, said that it was a lot closer to get from Brooklyn to Lincoln Center. <laughs> no, than
2: no,
7: no, no. Um, but when I talk to students about it, um, I, I, I show them the data that suggests that you don't have to give up returns for measurable social or, or environmental impact. And having been a, uh pre-story of all that is I spent 30 years as a hedge fund guy and uh, worked for Martin Whitman, Deep Value at Third Avenue Fund, and then is the Englander at Millennium, running an event-driven book, and then started my own firm. Tiburon sold that. Uh, my wife is ex Lehman Brothers, and so we we're first generation wealth and understand markets, that's what we, we do. So talking to students about the idea, like why would we give up? The option to do right by people and planet. Right? If, if we can make the same returns and not screw people and planet, why would we give up those three options? So, just thinking about it like a manager, it's a great thing. I, I can go home and sleep at night knowing I'm not screwing the world. Why would I give up those options? So, it starts with a, a public securities portfolio. It makes sense to run an ESG screen and ring out. The uh, worst is, you know, that's low intentionality. That's the capital markets nudges right here investing. in Companies that are top quartile. You run out, you know, you, you don't invest in businesses that um, don't meet your your organization or your your family offices interests. So we're uh, 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 a signatory to something called digest invest. So we commit to a fossil fuel free portfolio. We don't invest in private prisons. We don't invest in weapons manufacturers. Uh, booze and casinos are fine, so I like losing and casinos. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Everybody's impacted there, impact. <laughs> <laughs> But I you know, you we're a small family office in that our staff, if you include my wife and son, there are five of us. I have one analyst, Nesha, some of you in the room probably know Nesha, uh, and uh, you know, one ops person. And so the way we get more measurable or uh, intentional impact is by being an LP in funds. You know What we do well, what's our comparative advantage? We look at managers and understand where our communities and conflicts of interest. I understand that. That's what we can do. I don't know the underlying businesses and like many family offices that might think they're the Medici's, and because they made money one way, they can make money in all things. Again, markets create humility for you you're right 55% of the time, you're a genius. And I take that to heart. So I'd rather I'd rather give somebody like Tenzin money to pick the right ways to invest for uh, climate action or for energy transition than think that I understand myself how to do that. It's a, it's a better way for us to do it, and that way we build a portfolio around impact. I also think the dirty little secret is because there's, still a number of people that don't believe in climate science. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's Binance. There's embedded higher returns because the world will eventually come to that conclusion. I remember, as a hedge fund guy, loving that moment where nobody agreed with me and thinking that we were right, maybe not always, but again, 55 percent <laughs> is all you need to do right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. It, eventually, people are going to catch up and, and realize that the climate solutions that we're working on right. are integral. And so there's embedded in these investments, I think, mm-hmm. upsized returns. What John Elkington, some of you know, maybe wrote a book called Green Swan, is Green Swan is the alternative to Muslims, I the Black Swan, that there is embedded surprise great opportunities, exponential outcomes to come, from investing in new social enterprises, that's how we compose the portfolio and how we think that affects.
0: And so, in terms of private investing, uh, you choose your 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 curator or your, your manager. You choose managers who invest uh, your 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 money in a fund. And, and do you then? How do you diversify over different index on yeah, that's
7: a good point. And I think this is another issue for many smaller single family offices that they're not professionally managed, you're not thinking about portfolio risk. And, you know, I think of the portfolio, like I would think of it without an impact overlay, there's just one extra element of putting an impact overlay, I'm looking for cheap on intrinsic basis with the prospect of asymmetric with outside. And I'm uh, applying the lens of our investment policy statement, a document that our family has written together a bunch of years ago. My 11-year-old son involved in that as well, because we don't want the dysfunction of intergenerational wealth transfer that occurs in many families. Um, So we care very much about uh, social justice and racial equity. We care very much about climate and energy transition, and you know we're making those one-off investments in and hopefully harnessing slightly different impacts there can be you know there can be concentration like there can be in a public security right. portfolio
0: no, that's a good that's a good point that's what quality right. when you're in of course, yeah. thanks very much i really appreciate it, angle uh, uh lastly but certainly not these pens and shell Sheldon, sorry, Tess Sheldon. Uh, a refugee from Tibet working as a climate leader, uh, went to my alma mater, Stanford, and uh, founded multiple companies in the space. Uh, and currently runs the, fund, the Pulse Fund, Growth Equity Venture. And in focuses on a number of different things, the wide basket, <coughs> food, agriculture, infra, energy, and mobility. Uh, and very impressively is a finalist for the Times 100 can you explain a little bit about what you do, what the fund is about, um, uh, and uh, what do you focus on within the fund, what, what
1: type, what stage, what gets you excited? Hi everyone. Um, I hope that everyone's hydrating. <laughs> it's quite warm in here, but I'm really happy to be here. Uh, a little bit about my background, um, I'm from Tibet. Maybe the furthest of anyone here, is anyone here further from Tibet? Um, so, I uh, came here on a green card lottery and went to college, community college in Oakland and then went to Stanford and became the first Tibetan to win the Rhodes Scholarship, where I, um, my dissertation was around proving that the United Nations number on displacement was long. Um, the UN had estimated that 250 million people will be displaced in the next 30 years, and that number had turned out to be north of about a billion people. So, we are dealing with an astronomical problem, but I think this is a problem of perception. Um, I actually don't believe in the theory of so calling what we're doing impact investment because sometimes that gives the notion that there is concessionary returns. In fact, I think if you're working in the green space, if you're working in climate, you are doing, you are doing impact, that is impact. Um, I'm more interested in solutions that are nature based that nobody has talked about. So, 80% of our planet's biodiversity, 80%, I want you to think about that number. That means our grasslands, our marine life, the Himalayas, where I'm from, and the Amazon. 80% are protected by less than 4% of its population. 4% of humanity protects 80% of the land. And can I ask you, how many of you think our... How many of you think that they have funding? There's 0.0001% of funding that goes to Indigenous peoples. And I'm really excited to find solutions where Indigenous persons, people who are front lines of climate, people who are disproportionately impact, impacted by climate, can be the solutions that we are funding Um, So, for example, there is a drone company that uses drones and works with indigenous communities to find ways to regenerate their land. It's an incredibly profitable business. I think that we need to start de-risking technologies like this that is working on private-public partnerships. I haven't seen enough of it. That's why I got into investments, because as a founder who had raised hundreds of millions of dollars from investors, I had, you know completely shattered a lot of the glass ceilings in my 20s. Um, I realized that it has to be the climate leader and solutionist who has the frontline experience to go out there and actually start investing in companies that no one was looking at twice. And I asked myself, why is no one looking at these companies twice? It is because the founders oftentimes don't have the right connections. They don't have the right principles who will back them. And so I think we need to have greater discussions about how do we look at nature-based solutions of people who are already doing the work. The technology is important. I invest in these technologies, hydrogen, you know, looking at fusion in nuclear. But what I'm more interested in is what are the nature-based solutions that nobody's looking at investing in because I think 30 years from now, we will be remiss. (laughs)
2: Yes. <laughs> any, any any
1: questions of audience? I love yes. what you're saying. Can you give us an example of something you've invested in that excites you? Yeah. Yes, we invested in a company that uses algae as a, a sustainable aviation fuel and the way that so in the, in the oceans, right now, there's been the sourcing of algae, so 2% of sourcing of algae. But you know what Hank Rogers said? He said, we don't want to create new disasters, by like fixing current disasters. And I think that's an important lesson here. So we invested in this company that actually grows its own algae, because if you take more than 22% of algae in the ocean, there will, there will be another crisis, which is the bio-marine crisis, so we invested in a company that grows its own algae and uses it as a full staff biopellet for all plastics, that's one. The, the second company is, um, we invested in a company that does soil regeneration. Right now, most people don't realize that the quickest way to decarbonize our planet is unfortunately not hydrogen or nuclear. That's not the quickest way, they are important ways, and they can have huge mitigative effects, but the quickest way is soil. But soil is not sexy. Soil doesn't get the level of garden or retention that people want, but soil is the most effective way. So there is an non-profit that Nobel laureate, well, during time, started in Kenya about 2008, and it has planted more trees and regenerated more native soil than any other organization. They are now going into the for profit business. A lot of this is also edifying It's edification, teaching people who are on the front lines, a lot of women, women of color who don't have the educational background and experiences to be able to take their company and make it for profit when they know they have the solution. So we're working with them as well. I wish we could.
0: Keep going with this panel, and Eddie thinks we can. <laughs> <laughs> I usually do let it happen. But we have one last panel, and we have breakouts. By the way, there will be wine bottles in the breakout room. Let's get you to the breakout room faster. Um, but let's thank this panel. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community
2: as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.